Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, well, I'm here at Olympia with Professor Lars Rupstuff, who is the FEI's uh, services expert. Um, and we were just chatting, uh, and Lars and I reckon we've probably known each other for 35 years. Um, so anyway, morning Lars, how are you? <laughs> morning David, I'm just fine. Yeah, at least that's amazing, we're getting old David. <laughs> ah, don't, don't say that. Um, so yeah, so I, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, not just about how you've ended up here. Uh, I, I keep calling it Olympia, of course it's the London International Horse Show. Um, you're here, well we'll find out why you're here. Um, but. I just want to talk to you a bit about uh, how you started. I mean, have you always ridden? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a horse family. My mother was riding. I was. I was only actually born in Denmark, and, and when we moved to Sweden, when I was like two years old, uh, she brought horses, and, and uh, since that, uh, horses been definitely a, a part of my life. So, horses was actually the reason I I, I went to vet studies. Uh, because I wanted to work with horses. And where, where did you study veterinary medicine? In Sweden. In Sweden, at Uppsala. In Uppsala, yeah. And that is the only veterinary fat, uh, yeah, Sweden, university? Uh, Sweden is a small country, so we <laughs> only have one. <laughs> small country, but punch is quite high above its weight, I think, in equestrian sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, yeah, right now at least. And, and you're still riding now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm still riding. I, 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 I'm an amateur rider. I was actually on the on the on the team when I was a junior junior rider, but but then I, well, I went into my studies and so on. But I but I kind of kept up riding and, and competing in show jumping, and then, you know, uh, it tend to be that mo- most uh, riders go to dressage when they go old. But I actually started doing uh, uh, eventing instead because I have to live as I teach, and I, what I teach is. Uh, variation in training and, and your the, wife events as well yeah so, of course that's part of the reason and you go, you go off together at the weekend <laughs> yeah she's the one who says okay now i have <laughs> now you're going here and here and <laughs> okay so you're you're following along <laughs> just following along so after you qualified as a vet what did you do next uh, <clears throat> so so i actually started i, I did at, at that time you know this is quite many years ago it was Today, doing research is more or less like a continuing education. But at that time, you could walk up to the to, to your, the professor and say, "I'd like to do your res- some research," and uh, he or she would just put you in the room and said, "Okay, you start." Uh, <coughs> so I started research more more or less in, in I was very 
I was lucky being in, in uh, Uppsala at a time when uh, uh, biomechanics was really developing a lot. So my first, very first teacher when I went to that school was Professor Ingvar Fredriksson, uh, which of course you, well, you don't, perhaps don't know, but both Peter and, and Jens Fredriksson. Uh, I, I, I actually did meet him. You, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so, so, so that's uh, his father, their father. And he was my very first uh, teacher and very inspiring. And he did some, some very uh, groundbreaking research in biomechanics using uh, high-speed cinematography. We're not talking video that didn't really exist back in the 60s and 70s. But long story short, the research with, which was actually aimed at looking at uh, doing objective lameness examination of horses and so on, the most practical thing it ended up in was surface research related to trotting racetracks. So the work he did was actually the foundation for the basic for starting uh, banking uh, trotting racetracks. And if you've been on a racetrack today and you see the, the, the banking, you get amazed about how good horses do it without any banking at all. And that's really strongly founded in scientific process yeah, to, sh- yeah, to reduce lameness. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, he basically showed that, that it was very, very, uh, put a lot of strain on the uh, <coughs> on the horses going on a, on, a, on a sharp turn without having any uh, any banking, because basically the distal phalanxes of the horse are hinge joints, so they have rather poor possibility to adapt to lateral angles. Okay, and I mean, th- there was a, a lot of uh, biomechanics researchers uh, that sort of, I guess, at the same time, people like Goran Dalin, yes, uh, what, Stig Devenmore, yeah, Stig, and uh, I'm trying to think, and then of course there were the Dutch, the Dutch team was was, was, was at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Is that one you have to take? Yeah, I have to take. That. <laughs> okay, that's a work call. We'll just pause for a sec. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're back after a short interlude there. <laughs> um, of course, you are here working, so we have to let you take any work calls. Uh, but, uh, of course, at that time, as you, you were mentioning, there was the, the, the group in, in Holland at Utrecht, mm-hmm. but also in Sweden, there was uh, people like Arna Lindholm, yes. uh, Suna Persson, who were more probably physiology, yes. uh, rather. But, of course, this is we're going back, aren't we, to the, the sort of late 60s, early 70s when equine exercise physiology took off so you qualified in what year 85 85 and then and you went straight into biomechanics phd uh, yes i went straight into uh, biomechanics phd but i did it basically on on uh, part-time and part-time i actually went out as a private practitioner but uh, later on then worked for for well on different uh, Equine hospitals, but uh, but but also back to the university and with uh, teaching positions at the uh, university in combinations. And, and you so still have a position that. Uh, well, I was the again. I the interesting thing, and which I I think it was quite important in in my 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 life and my my work career is when I finished my when I finally finished my PhD, I was more or less uh, immediately recruited to the equine studies program. So we have quite a unique, I would say, equine studies program in the sense that it's an totally on academic level with, uh, well, the best trainers and practitioners that we have, the best animal science people, the best veterinary people, and we take the best from from veterinary science and animal science and, and, and the practical uh, knowledge and give them a three-year uh, 
university education and I was responsible for the all the veterinary medicine there and I was also doing five years uh, heading the whole uh, department before I went uh, over to a, a professor position with, with research. But the reason it was important was that, I mean it's kind of a <coughs> sometimes overused word, but that really gave me a holistic perspective in, in horse performance and health. Uh, working very closely with, with the best riders, trotting trainers, and uh, also we had, at some time we were working with racing. Racing is a small industry relatively in Sweden compared to, to, to some other countries. Uh, <coughs> but also now lately more with Icelandic training, so really a variety of, of <coughs> trainers and riders from different disciplines, and that was a marvelous pot <laughs> to, to steer around with, with the theory and, and the practice and really got me to be honest you know I, I, I need to go a little bit back to because I think this is an interesting story so you know when starting at the vet school in 85 already <coughs> already starting out you started hanging out down on the clinics and you were quite I would say <coughs> surprised you know going down there and looking at the best professors and clinicians and and you know it turned out they couldn't even agree agree on which limb the horse was lame on <laughs> <laughs> yes that's been a recurring theme in uh, veterinary orthopedics i think so, orthopedics. So, so so that was a very very simple reason that i uh, wanted to work with biomechanics and my phd thesis was actually uh, constructing and validating a force measuring shoe because lameness is to a vast majority weight-bearing lameness. So what is the gold standard to measure that? Well, force, of course, and that's the reason I did my thesis in, 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 in um, constructing a force-measuring shoe. And luckily I was, was uh, in Uppsala at a point where biomechanics was, was uh, <coughs> really increasing uh, with, with getting the resources and the people and, and everything, uh, everything there. So, so that's that's really been the, the the main driving force for me to go into to, to research. That is to be better at understanding horse locomotion. So, I guess you're a little bit like me. <laughs> I call myself a hobby uh, electronics engineer, very hobby mechanical engineer. You're, I think you're a few levels above me because you build a lot of stuff. So. Is that engineering from school, or for, is that you, did you teach yourself? Or no, I'm a, no, no, I'm, I'm complete. I'm a hobby engineer as well, uh, for sure. Uh, so I think it's just about, to be honest, it's about interest and motivation. You know, so so when I literally constructed and built this force measuring shoe at that time. Well, I did the electronics, I did a lot of the mechanics. Of course, I had had uh, supervisors from uh, technical schools as well. But it started very, very early on with, with a, a, broad, uh, a broad perspective, everything from, from, from electronics handling uh, data to uh, mechanical, mechanical engineering. And it's, it's just about, you know, reading, reading stuff when you need it to solve a problem. I, I think, in a way, our, our backgrounds might be very similar because I did computing as a uh, as a separate course at university um, because I thought <laughs> I thought well this is going to be something that's quite interesting and when I was doing my PhD and in those years at the Animal Health Trust, first of all you had to build things because there weren't any things built for horses like masks or flow meters or anything like this 
and secondly we had computers but there was no off-the-shelf software to do anything so I had to write all my own software to collect data to do calculations and so uh, uh, and I, for me that was a great experience um, it enabled me to collaborate with a lot of people and I'm guessing your path was, was, was similar that the there wasn't stuff necessarily built for horses to do what you wanted to do no and I, I it's, it's quite interesting the perspective I'm just coming to think about it so when I started uh, at, at the Department of Anatomy because that's where the, the research were done uh, we actually had uh, three engineers one on computers one on uh, <coughs> one mechanical engineer and, and uh, one in electronics you know we had the shop. We had the shop at the at the department. Today, everything is uh, outsourced, but it's really like you were saying. At that time, you really had to kind of invent things from the very beginning. But I would say that it had changed quite a lot. Today, working with biomechanics as a research research area is actually more about uh, attending. Uh, uh, seminars, congresses, reading and just trying to see what is useful uh, for research in horses. So the development that is about you know, space uh, industry or car industry or <laughs> yeah, things like that, they develop the technology and the analysis methods or whatever it is. And the trick today is about finding out what can we apply in yeah, we, we, we've spent time looking at a lot of interesting sensors for, for different example, applications. For example, yes. <laughs> and, uh, oh, look, I found another one. Is this any good? You know, it's, um, but your, your son, of course, uh, has gone into this sort of industry, hasn't he? Well, I mean, of, of course, uh, we allowed him to, to, to or where he, he got a pony, but since I was a <coughs> cheap 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 parent I bought him a cheap uh, pony that uh, took away with him and threw him off a couple of times so he was uh, very very effectively weaned from horses at an early age <laughs> at least from the riding I'm sorry but anyway when he <coughs> then uh, continued education and he came to, to, to his uh, university studies he eventually went into to, to, uh, engineering studies and I persuaded him to do some uh, bachelor's thesis together with, with me and, and a company working with locomotion analysis. And this isn't the BBC, you can advertise, you can say the name of the company. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was Policies who is doing it. Who is, and, and for people who don't know, just Policies... Well, Policies is one out of, I would say, three major and old uh, companies being in uh, locomotion analysis. And I mean, most of locomotion emotion analysis today—that's like in movies, like Avatar, which is actual now. But it's also in industry, and, and it's just about controlling uh, kinematics—that is, movement, basically measuring movements. And they do the hardware for this, uh, which is uh, high-speed video cameras, which are working with uh, with infrared light and markers. So it's an old technology, but. That's, that's another very interesting thing. Anyway, he worked with that. He did his master thesis. He got, eventually got his uh, 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 got a position there after he was finished his study uh, and was going into the industry. But 
uh, turn out that that and he said he would never work with, with, with horses and he told me I will we've not all, we've all said that <laughs> and he didn't want to write and he didn't want to, <laughs> to, to to read anything more but it only took a couple of years and then he went into to, uh, uh, PhD studies in uh, Zurich together with Mike Weishaupt who has uh, done a lot of uh, interesting work in, in, in both physiology and biomechanics and horses very well known colleague professor anyway and after his thesis, uh, the interesting thing, he was recruited by Slate, which is, I think, it's a very, very interesting company, which is actually one of my PhD students, Elin Handlund, who started that together with, with uh, the, uh, one of the technical universities in Uppsala, who is working with AI to analyze video. So today, what, you know, when just tying things together, when I was doing my very first work together with... <laughs> Professor Stig Riven, one of my tutor, uh, I was sitting, you know, looking at high-speed cinematography. With I'm just sorry. That background noise, everyone probably can hear that rumble. Isn't thunder? It's that it's planes taking off. I think from London City Airport, which is just next door. Sorry about that. I thought I'd better clarify just in case people. Okay. Sorry. So yeah, we're we're really going away to different things, but I think it's interesting, and everything kind of ties together. So what he's doing now uh, is working with this company Slate, uh, and what they are doing is using AI technology to base just on an iPhone video recording. We can basically do the same thing that we uh, do with Lemus Locator or other of these sensor-based things. So without markers, without sensors, just with the video from a uh, from an iPhone, you are able to actually do the basic locomotion analysis to detect weight-bearing lamuses. It's just this is just amazing uh, how technology has developed. Like when I started, I was saying I was looking at cinematography with 500 frames per second, you know, and manually with a crosshair <laughs> looking at the position. Of each marker, you know, it took hours and hours to, uh, to analyze one stride. <laughs> to analyze <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> one single stride, and I, I know they, they, that's just an amazing uh, journey. Yeah, that's the that's the thing when when people always say, "Oh, what you know, what if, have computers really changed the world?" You know, well, yeah. It, it's, they do things that we can't do, and they also do things that we can do, but much quicker. That's, um, so, if we can talk about surfaces, um, when did sort of how did you get to be where you are now through your surfaces work? What, what's the story? Well, uh, again, the the short version is the uh, tradition uh, of. Surface work where I was talking about uh, Professor Fredrickson and also Professor Drevimo did uh, work with that, so I was involved with that on a very early stage, and it was a kind of a tradition. Then I would say it was uh, uh, an important thing was actually Athens, uh, where we had several horses uh, sustaining severe injuries. So that's 2004 Olympics. Exactly. And I actually uh, did do the test event on the on the thermoregulation side. <laughs> you see there. And that, together with, with, of course, a number of, 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 of colleagues and, and, and so on, we were in the right position. I mean, I should be very honest with that. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do research on, but you also need to get the funding for it. 
And when things like that happen, all of a sudden FEI was very interested in funding uh, research that could lead to less injuries in relation to injury to surfaces. So we, we it started out we we managed to get some serious funding from FBI and together with World Holds Welfare. Uh, and that was really we had we had two one two two approaches to it. So one was doing testing and developing and testing pattern. This is what we're doing today today with what I call the OBST or Rono Biomechanical Surface Test. So it's basically a mechanical hoof or a robot hoof that mimics the uh, loading and load rates of a horse and landing speeds, landing angles, everything. Uh, it's really a natural environment here with yeah. <laughs> a lot of background well, sounds. Is it dog agility that they have here as well? I, I should mention Lars and I are in the bar um, behind the, the scenes. So we're sitting next to the warm-up arena and there's quite a few dogs around and... Uh, some of the horses are not that impressed when the dogs start barking, I have to say. <laughs> um, there's one very vocal one here. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway I mean, uh, so, so we got funding, serious funding, and doing both epidemiological and, and biomechanical studies uh, back in 2008, 2009 it, it started. And since then it's been a continuous collaboration with, with, with FBI, but also with funding from... from British Equestrian Federation, from the Swedish uh, Equestrian Foundation for Research, and so on and so forth. A number of so that's very important to mention that that we have got good uh, funding for this research, and also a nice, very, very nice, interesting international collaboration with co-workers in in, in UK with Sarah Jane Hobbs and her team with Mick Peterson uh, in the US, who has been working a lot with uh, testing racing racing surfaces. So when, when did the mechanical hoof first get used uh, to, to manage service at competition? So, so it started out there in, in, in uh, 2008, <coughs> Nick Peterson developed, has developed the mechanical or the foundation, the basics for the, uh, the mechanical hoof for testing racetracks. We met and, and I realized that it was... We started out, you know, using the horse as a test bed, putting axerometers on the hoofs and things like that, and doing kinematic measurements. And of course, it's a little bit difficult to use the horse as a uh, test machine and transport it all around the world. So it was quite logical to create a mechanical horse to test the surface that could be consistent with testing. And I really want to say, in that context also, that it's important that. The difference with the machine that we're using today compared, there's a lot of, of, of machines for, for athletic turfs, uh, for uh, road building and so on, used to test ground properties, but the machine that we are using is by far the one most mimicking the forces and the loads uh, from a real horse, meaning that we are, I would like, I'm not saying that we are doing it perfectly or, or absolutely correctly, but I think we are the one who are testing the surfaces in a position where we can say this is what the horse feels when it works, when it walks on different grounds or works on different grounds. That's important. That's really important. The next thing, which is at the end, is today that we have a huge database with thousands and thousands of tests, which is, of course, very important when you work with testing like this. 
it's not about refining things. You cannot change your method over time. You need to have the same method to have a good database. That's a balance that you have to, to, to take when you do this kind of Can work. you basically uh, simply describe what the, 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 the testing system looks like? And yes, what, and how it works. Yes, so so what, what it is, it's basically a, a falling weight. Uh, <coughs> so it, it, it we call it gravity driven. <laughs> so it's a it, it is a hoof, literally a horseshoe, uh, at the very end uh, that uh, falls and hits the ground with a specific energy, and the, that is defined by the drop height and the weight of this one. And we create forces like on a on an equestrian arena like the ones we have here. We would see peak forces of, of uh, between uh, 1,000 and uh, 1,500 kilograms, which is what a horse would experience landing after a, a fence. They would actually experience it even going in fast canter. Uh, that's the kind of forces we are talking about. So tying that back to to to. I mean, the whole motive is about allowing performance while minimizing risk of injury, of course. That's the whole idea and the overall aim. Um, and when you understand which forces we're talking about, then you also understand that it's no wonder that we get some, some, some orthopedic injuries now and then because it's huge forces, a ton or more on the size of a, of, of a hoof, you know. And then you understand the next thing is, of course, it's so important with the surface properties taking care of that right and so to clarify for people who haven't seen this done I've, I've had the advantage of seeing mm -hmm. you do this uh, well last time was in Tokyo mm -hmm. um, you have a large area you don't just go into one corner and do it you do it all the yeah. way across the arena yeah. and you can sort of map the properties and that feeds in as I understand into how the surface that should then be managed by the arena team yes uh, so so we so what we're doing is I need to do a little bit of explanation here so you need to understand some of the basic biomechanics of hoof ground interaction so first of all we have the hoof hitting the ground that is basically a kilogram or two hitting the ground with high speed being decelerated very quickly so you know remember Newton Newton and his force equals mass time acceleration so it's a low mass but high acceleration which can create high forces this is very opposed to maximum load which you see at mid stance or when the cannon bone is basically vertical and uh, at that point you have a very high mass but it's not a large acceleration so that's another way of creating force and this is one of the tricky things with, with with surfaces that you need to distinguish between these two events and in addition to this we need also to talk about grip we'll come back to that but the thing with, 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 with horses what we want to have is actually quite a good support for the hoof when it lands we don't want a surface where the hoof rotates around in the surface a lot it should just basically give a, if we're talking equestrian sports, because this is of course different in different uh, disciplines, but equestrian sports, I like to say that you should see, clearly see the, the print of the hoof and the frog basically, then you have a good impact firmness, this is relating to to uh, to, to the hoof, hoof landing in the, in the, in the surface. Uh, 
But the tricky thing is when this tons or more coming in mid stance, then you need you would like to dampen that a bit, and that has something to do with the deeper layers in the in the surface. So that's why we distinguish between what we call impact firmness and cushioning. So impact firmness is about the very top surface and what relates to just hoof landing. Cushioning is how well the deeper layers in the ground can support but also cushion these tons uh, that the horse will experience. And of course this is again one of the reasons that I, I, I sometimes poke a little bit fun about people going around and kicking in the ground. Uh, which is uh, very, very far from <laughs> the forces that a horse can exert on the, sure. <laughs> on, on the ground. <laughs> yeah, even with my winter weight, I don't think I can create 1,500 kilos when I jump on the, on, the, on the surface. But that brings us to another interesting aspect. How do you manage? Because we've got dressage here, we've got show jumping here, we've got driving here. Don't they all want something slightly different? Uh, yes and no. The interesting thing is that, that traditionally I would say dressage people would like to have a surface that it's a little bit more fluffy. Uh, but today when I talk to the top riders in, in, in dressage, they say the show jumping riders are happy with the surface than we are too. So the only very, very slight difference that, that a maintenance staff would do is to just use the harrow on the very, very top to tickle it a little bit on the very top. So very, very, very small difference. Actually lower the impact firmness a little bit. But the cushioning, you know, it's of course in extended canter or whatever it is, also exerts quite a huge high forces. So we still want to have a little bit of give. And this is the reason that in, in addition to impact firmness and cushioning, we also talk about responsiveness or elasticity of the ground. So that's a way of, of, of creating a surface that can dampen the max forces uh, and not being a spring mat because that's difficult to create, but at least retain the same properties all the time. So we really want to have some elasticity, some give in deeper layers, but that because that can easily, you know, lower the peak forces by 20% in, in something that okay, would look absolutely the same, but depending on how the deeper layer are managed. Uh, <coughs> coming into this cushioning value and, and the responsiveness uh, as I say we can go from uh, a 1,500 kilo on average to a 1,200 easily and this is one of the things that this is one of the really important things from a research perspective because we actually don't know what is today from a biological point of view or a biomechanical point of view we don't have the research data to say this is a ideal situation. Of course it's quite logical to say that we want to have as low cushioning as possible because that will be lower peak forces to the horses. But the nice thing is that, that FEI has again financed quite a big study so during the next year 2023 we are going to test uh, some 20 horses on, uh, on the 150, 160 fences on three very different surfaces. You know, high <coughs> cushioning, very very compacted surfaces, a very high grip surface, uh, <coughs> and uh, one that is uh, has a clear elasticity. And then, with sophisticated biomechanical research technology, again, it's kinematic and kinetic analysis. We uh, should be able to actually look at the uh, forces in uh, 
in the tendon insertions and the collateral ligaments, uh, look at moments in the different joints and so on. And then maybe we can say something more uh, about uh, say something more about what is uh, uh, what properties we want to lower risk of injury. Or we can make this a balance between performance and, and, and risk of injury even better. So I mean, here we're at an indoor show, uh, and, and of course you do outdoor. You do outdoor uh, surfaces as well. So, for example, I, I don't know what the last ones you did. But I remember you, you did, of course, the cross-country course at, at Tokyo uh, because that was a, a, a surface that was created. Um, how does that differ? I mean, do you use watering on the indoor surfaces? Absolutely. Okay, so harrowing and watering would be I mean, indoor uh, and outdoor. The, the, I mean, there, there are... There are two things, uh, two important things is of course uh, the construction, that is the materials, but equally important and perhaps even more important is maintenance. And maintenance is about water, it's about harrowing and deeper and deep and, and, and shallow harrowing and uh, ragging. That's basically the, the mechanical uh, work plus, plus the moisture. Moisture level is in, incredibly important and it's incredibly important to have moisture not on the top layer that's to do some dust control but water in the deeper layers because when you really kind of saturate the deeper layers in a good sand mixture then you have a, an a amazingly ability for the ground to, to disseminate the forces so actually when you look at the surface on a, on a, on a good arena you can see how the, the, the surface moves uh, around the hoof impact it could be a square meter where you can actually see that the ground moves a bit sideways what you see it moves sideways and what you actually see is the shock waves from the horse being disseminated into to the surrounding and that dampens the, the, the peak force of which is good which is good and when you get used to it you can also hear it because you don't want to hear this clicking you want to hear something that is more like a boom 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 right <laughs> which means <laughs> that the impact over time is being spread out exactly okay um changing tack a little bit um earlier on this year you did uh i, I guess well one of the first studies on looking at the difference between barefoot and shod horses jumping with Peter Fredriksson uh, of course who was quite successful in Tokyo uh, for Sweden in the jumping um, I mean that was and that was a study that was funded by I'm fighting against the uh, commentator now must be getting very exciting next door um, that was funded by Agria the, the Swedish uh, insurance company that's now actually yep launched in the UK as well yep. um, it, it's great to see an insurance company funding a study like this um, and you know I was I was fortunate enough to be there and watch you doing some of this it's, it was technically very challenging can you uh, there's been a little bit in the in the media about what you found but what can you because you haven't presented this at a scientific conference yet have you but what what can you say about that study well, I mean, it was an amazing uh, study, and again, it's it's about uh, technology, uh, of course. So we were actually using 30 high-speed uh, cameras, 
you, you'll want to make a break while they're doing the maintenance because is that, is, is, is that now is that maintenance that you approve of <laughs> yeah we're going to take a break just while they're harrowing the surface yeah we'll be back in a couple of minutes okay so uh, they've, they've finished um harrowing the arena which um I, I think lars is happy with um so we, we were talking about the barefoot study yeah <laughs> well, well, I mean, uh, uh, again, yes, it was really, uh, it was really nice to be able to work directly with, with uh, Audrey on this project, and uh, of course, it's uh, it's interesting when they want to go in and they wanted to do uh, uh, really follow up the whole procedure. So one of the things that we did with the study that I really like is that they made a lot of nice uh, media productions. Now they're mainly in Swedish, but but. Uh, videos and things like that explaining the whole process not only the results I mean many times research is you know presenting a couple of slides with a couple of diagrams or, or tables or something like that but actually to 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 uh, record the whole and follow the whole process the planning uh, <coughs> the whole performance collecting the data and so on uh, that's been really really nice so people understand <laughs> Well, how much work there is behind perhaps a few lines of data in a research report. So, the, the big question is, is barefoot better than being shod or different? <laughs> well, bio biology is never black and white. No. So, so I, don't, I don't think there ever will be any research related to barefoot or shoeing that will uh, find a cure-all method. The thing we will uh, learn is more to adapt to individual specific individuals. And, and I think that's what Axel, who is the farrier, as I understand, from Norway, who yeah. introduced Pedder uh, when Pedder wanted to go barefoot. It was Axel, was it? Who worked yeah, he, with was, his... he was involved in it. Yeah. And you know, talking to him, he, he has a very, I think, pragmatic approach in saying some horses transition to barefoot very quickly, and you see an immediate improvement other horses it can take a year you said other horses it barefoot just doesn't suit them and will never suit them so that's really what you're saying about it's not black and white it's not barefoot is always better shod is always better there's and, and I, what i what i want to start with and i always start with when we discuss this is that why do we shoe horses well there are three basic uh, very simple basic things you need to have better grip you need to have uh, protection from wear and you need to have protection protection from pressure I mean if you walk on a, on a hard big stones so those three things so if you're going to use your horse in a situation where you can't guarantee those three things you need to show it simple as that if, if, the, if, the, if the hook is worn down more than it grows, then you need to shoe it. If you don't have the grip you need, you need to put shoes on it. And even the top riders, they will put shoes on uh, the horses or, or create grip in other ways. When they go on turf, for example, Peter would... would I mean, he tried to, to go, without, uh, go without shoes on the turf, and it actually works to do... A, as long as you don't go in the speed classes and or jump ups, but on, apart from that, so if you don't have the grip, and some horses are really sensitive, you know, if, if the ground is uh, uneven with, with gravel stones and things like that, you need to put shoes on it. Period. Okay. But but apart from that, from 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 
the other side of it is that of course the horse is made to go barefoot it's simple as that <laughs> yeah so, so the horse is so 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 very very generalized and simple uh, the function of the hoof is made and constructed to go barefoot and you will in some way hinder that with a shoe but then the barefoot horse of course isn't going those distances at those speeds, jumping, turning rapidly. Exactly. It, it's not doing what we wanted to do in competition. No, so so that's and that's the reason I took the first three <laughs> okay. prerequisites. So for ordinary horse owners, uh, you know, whether they're pleasure owners or competition, um, what would you say are the things they need to know about surfaces? I think they they really need to understand that that from a biological point of view we should start there. Then the most important thing is actually uh, variation, as with I would say with all training of the horses, uh, variation, successive adaptation, variation can be. <coughs> If we talk from a very general perspective, variation that is about the uh, amount of work you're doing, the intensity of the work, the type of work, and uh, type is of course one thing of type is of course the surface. So if you're going to be prepared, if you are a competition rider and go to different shows, they will always be different. So the only way to prepare for that is actually to, on purpose, train your surfaces, to train your horse on different uh, different surfaces. That's the very, very important the biology thing. And, and even though that I work a lot with what I call the technical aspects, when it's sort of talking about different scents and different additives to the sand and the, the maintenance procedures and all of those things, which 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 I really work a lot with, uh, then that's the, the technical point. But from a biological point of view, there is no poor surfaces. There are only poor use of surfaces. <laughs> Right, so I, it's kind of the, the situation if you're in an endurance race and you come to a really bad patch of ground, you have two choices. You know, one is to, to walk or get off and lead your horse over. The other is to you trot or canter through. But if you trot or canter through, you're putting your horse at, at risk sure. if it's a bad surface. So I, I totally agree with you. It's, the, it's not a bad surface. It's the decision that you make about how to what to do on that surface so so that's the one point of it the other point is of course with, with, with <clears throat> if we're looking at the question sport high level of question sport today it's like uh, it's sometimes i like to compare it to motorsport it's spectacular and, and uh, we are kind of pushing the limits from a performance point of view but if you look at motorsports the reason that we have different formulas and so on that is because you need to uh, limit the risk and the uh, very simple fact the more we tune the surface towards high performance that is the speed or being able to make big jumps and so on we will inevitably come to a point where we actually increase forces and forces is the basis for all kind of orthopedic injuries period Makes sense? <laughs> yeah. Listen, that's been brilliant. Um, thanks ever so much, and I, I think you now need to go and test some surfaces. <laughs> I will, for sure. <laughs> okay, thanks, Lars. Thank you.
I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.